Hello and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and I can say it again this week. I wasn't able to say it last week. As always, Ian, welcome back. Thanks very much. Ditched me last week, didn't you? Did a admirable job, I thought, Mark, in my absence. So uh, cheers for Mark for stepping in. He wasn't he was far better on the podcast than he is as a person in real life. We got 15 complaints <laughs> sent over um, from Twitter. All about like a, a boring, monotone. Racist talk of men being in Pablo, I thought was disgraceful. Yeah, um, I thought I mean, that. Um, and we can only apologise to Pablo, who is listening. Uh, but, having... uh, no, no, I thought he did a good job. I thought it was, uh, it was all right. I thought so. I thought it was all right. Yeah, I, um, was all right. I, was I listened, listened to it on the way home. Holiday was, was good. Nice, relaxing little uh, bit of summer sun. Rain a couple of days. It was a bit of shit. Any swinging? No swinging, because despite these constant references to it, when I did listen to you and Mark, um, obviously, you know, the week before, you'd introduced me to the allegedly universal sign of I think, swinging. I think, I think, I think it's important. I didn't introduce upside down pineapple. Yeah. I, I didn't even know what that was before a week before I went away. And then you told me that where I was going was supposedly the... Upside down pineapple capital of Europe, which having been there is a complete lie because it was like a saga holiday. You say so that? Pe- did you see anyone wearing upside down pineapple shorts? I did because I sent you a picture, did I not? Interesting. I think I saw two people wearing them, but the age demographic of Fuerteventura is not coherent with massive swinging, would be my. I didn't say that swinging would be full of young babes and, and that type of people. I think it'd be more I mean, inclined this to be is older. like, how did they get to the bed? Like, by wheelchair? Like, the, 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 the age demographic was not inclined to, to, for me to, to suggest that you were correct there. Um, so much so, there was one point when I'm at the hotel and I'm feeling like a spring chicken compared to the other people around. A group of lads turn up about three or four days in and um, I'm waiting in uh, for, a, for a drink at the all-inclusive. These lads turn up. I just turn around to them and I was just like, you fucked up here, haven't you, lads? And they looked at me like, what do you mean? I was like, there's no birds here whatsoever. And we went out in town the other night. There's no places you're going to get any. And they were like, oh, shit. But I just felt so sorry for these. These were like early 20 lads staying in a resort of the average age must have been 55 to 60. How do you get that so wrong? Like, I don't remember. Don't know. You, tr- you entrust a mate who's like, oh, I found a fat cheap holiday, all inclusive, or something like that. And they've not done anything. Any research whatsoever. Is there mate Neil out of the in-betweeners by any chance? Don't know, but the, the, I felt really sorry for these guys. I was just like, mate, you guys are just not going to have anything like a lad's holiday on this but trip. Who, who, but... think, who sits there thinking, oh, we could go to, you know, Magaluf, we could do Malia, could go Let's go Costa de Fute <laughs> in, uh, for an insurer. Yeah, like, not known for its younger lad demographic holidays. So, um only other story I feel I've got to tell you, which I told you already, but was on the way back. This is now when you know you again with an older, an older demographic of people that have just been on it or drinking the whole holiday. Is sat there with my missus. Someone at twice dropped two of the most repulsive farts that I've ever smelt. So much so that you watched it hit people in the face like a grenade, and their faces coil back and. It, my, my own feelings went from disgust to concern that these people smell... Are you dying for your farts to smell that? I, it was absolutely horrendous. But planes, they're just like a tube of farts, aren't they? You get stuck on them like... Imagine Vegas when you go in and you've got like groups of lads on it. They're fucking foul. 
places to be. I'll look forward to that then when we uh, eventually do go to America. But yeah, it was horrendous. But yeah, yeah, good holiday. Thanks very much, but glad to be back. Any plans for this very special day? Because obviously people listening to this will um, be surprised by this early release. Obviously it's Valentine's Day today, so we thought we'd well, uh, put a special seeing out. Seeing as neither of us have anything better to do, I thought we should, we should help out our fellow men who are stuck going to set menus, paying twice the price for some dog shit Valentine's meal that their missus is forcing them to do. They can sneak an earpod in, they can listen to us, and we can talk them through the bullshit that they're doing but I, I have to say no it. i'm not doing anything i don't do anything <laughs> anyway but my missus is working too late so i've got a kind of free pass tonight on the off chance that my missus is listening to this i have to say i haven't agreed that we won't be doing anything at all <laughs> obviously i've got a really romantic evening planned for you um so much so i got a, a, a valentine's card that literally says something about robin cock and that she's going to be seeing a lot more of cock tonight so well, Pictures, we'll have to course. make sure we keep this a relatively concise one to not keep you here that long and you can get home and dish out your steak and cock card. Uh, I'll be honest, got. literally no chance. Absolutely no chance. But uh, obviously we've got a lot to get through and we'll get through it as quickly as possible. Start with MMA. Um, you've missed quite a lot since the last podcast. I think the best place to start is obviously in Australia. UFC 284. Very good fight. Lived up to the hype. Can't can't be saying it's one of the greatest fights ever or anything like that, but absolutely what you expect from two of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Um, I can't help but feel my own view wasn't a robbery. I hear people talking about robbery. I don't think it was a robbery. I think it was pretty clear 3-2 to me, to, to, to Islami 1-2 one, one, and 4 rounds-wise for me, relatively clearly. Didn't think there was any shout of a robbery. I could see it was close. And would I suggest that maybe Volkanovski deserves a rematch out of that? Absolutely, none of those points I would dispute. But to call it a robbery is insane. It hinges on round two, because we saw some of the judges' scorecards, and that's one of the judges gave Islam round three is a travesty. That genuinely was one of the worst scoring I've seen. All in day, Volkanovski won Mental. three and five, yeah. easily, and I don't think that could be in dispute in the same way that Islam one, one, and one, four. Two, one, two and four. I one think. and four, definitely. I think the, the dispute would come in round number two. That's obviously how the, the fight went either way. I know a lot of people, including myself, said that they could see why people have said it's potentially a robbery and, and Volkanovski might have won that second round and, and taken it by three rounds to two. And I know there was the Joe Rogan um, fight companion that they did in which all four of them thought that Volkanovski had won. So. Strange, I haven't listened to that yet, which I love my Rogan and love those fight companions. So that may be one that I will listen to when I get home. But I was, because when I read all the things the next day about the controversy of it being a robbery, I thought it's always a good thing to remind yourself, what's the scoring criteria? So like, what is it the judges are looking for? And it's basically effective striking and grappling, aggressiveness and octagon control. Now, if you take those points and you apply them to Joanne 2, which is the one that most people in controversy, Islam has to win that round. He was in control for longer and held him down. He was more effective and probably aggressive, maybe not, but his striking and definitely his grappling was more effective. So to me, if you go back to the judging criteria, I don't think 2 is that debatable. But the final point I would say about it, without banging on, Volkanovski came out... I was more impressed in his defeat than I was in Islam's victory. 
I thought Volkanovski was a warrior. He landed more significant strikes, I think more than three times significant strikes than anyone's put on Makalev before. He's the only person who's ever got up twice from being taken down by uh, Makalev. He was sensational, just not good enough. If so, I mean, I, I sent you a message shortly afterwards. If there was a rematch, I would like to see it at the lower weight. There's no chance of that happening, of course. If hypothetically they did fight at the lower weight, would you see Volkanovski winning that? The only extra factor into that that makes a difference is how they react to the weight cut. It will never happen, particularly showed just before we came on air that video you showed me of Makalev's weight cut where. He looked fucked. Yeah. Like, and that's making 155, let alone 145. So, and I don't think, even though you only have to make the weight the day and the morning before the fight, people don't appreciate what that takes out of you energy-wise. Islam's was certainly gassing towards the end. And the one thing I would say is I undoubtedly gave the physical conditioning fight to Volk, that he was coming on strong at the end. And if there had been another minute or so, there'd been a sixth round you could have seen Volkanovski finishing him. He came on like a steam train at the end, whereas Makalev was clearly starting to gas. And he's known for his effective pace and what he puts on people. He was struggling those four and fifth rounds. So it showed a few holes for certain people, I think. We'll fancy, do you know what? Maybe Islam's not the unbreakable puzzle that a lot of people think he is. Um, But for me, he needs to go back and get a bit of a bigger gas tank. We'll come back to... um... Rodriguez and Emmett shortly, but there are a number of things that have come out of or of the, the, the fallout, I suppose, out of the uh, Vulcan-Islam fight. So there's one of these uh, being that there were accusations that Islam has been cheating. Correct. Um, thoughts on this? Because we can't actually find anything. We've looked, haven't we? And we were doing a bit of a look. At, I spent like at least half an hour last night when it all came out trying to find some more details of it. But what it all seems to stem from Dan Hooker, who is a member of Volkanovsky's team. So he's clearly like backing one of his boys, if you like. So again, you've got to maybe take that with a pinch of salt. But he's come out and accused Islam of using an uh, IV drip to rehydrate after the weight cut. Now, they were sanctioned before. That was a perfectly legitimate way to rehydrate after weight cutting. It's longer ago than I think it was, but I think it's something like 2015 or 16 that they were banned. And the reason that they were banned is that they can help conceal PEDs or the use of certain um, masking agents which are used to hide PEDs and, uh, and people juicing. So they've since banned it. Where this has come from, from Hooker, there's no video, there's no photo of of Islam having an an IV. So whether he's just trying to throw shit around and cause trouble uh, or or what, but it's I couldn't find anything apart from the stories all about it and Dan Hooker. There's no an iota of evidence I've seen. Yeah, nothing that I can see though. And as I say, we did have quite an extensive look into this just to see if there's any further information that we can see. And I think it's probably... Not necessarily sour grapes, but it's obviously, as you say, it's coming from Volkanovski's camp. I don't think in any way, shape or form, Volkanovski has, has endorsed the message. He's certainly not that type of individual and certainly not the type of fighter to turn around and say, I've only lost because I got cheated out of it. Um, but I think it's probably all to do with the hype to build up a potential rematch. This is the cynical nature of me, obviously, but I can see this being, oh, well, 
need a rematch to prove definitively that there's no cheating there and all this nonsense. It's the circus of professional sports. Uh, I mean, he's getting some shade now in Islam that he was relatively unknown. He's been in the shadows for a fair, relative period of time. Now he's out there, you know, number one pound for pound fighter in the world uh, in, you know, in most people's rankings. Um, it's, it's interesting you've mentioned that because that's one of the things we were talking about off air and certainly following um, the, the result of the fight. Pound for pound rankings are very, I, I want to say subjective because there are certain elements that people would put other people in, in the top and other people second. And this has all come of the fallout of it being pound pound number one versus pound pound number two. And it's the first time this has happened ever in the UFC. Has it ever happened before? No, I saw them build this as, as a bit of a geeky thing. I thought, sorry, Ariel Hawani was banging on about this and making a real issue that they claimed this the first time in the promotion. It was one and two in the pound for pound. It wasn't. It's happened three or four times before. The last time was John Jones, D.C., they were both one and two in uh, the rankings, but yeah, it was. They did say that in the build-up, and it's the first time it had ever pound for pound fought number one and two had fought. Well, the, the rumours, obviously, not necessarily rumours. It's almost certainly a fact. But following this, there's no official update as of yet on the UFC rankings. But the expectation is that Islam will goes pound for pound number one now, and um, Volkel fall to number two. I don't agree with it personally, and I know you said it, it should work a little bit like. Um, a lineal boxing champion. So you beat the pound for pound number one. You should be the pound for pound number one on the back of that. I don't necessarily agree. And I think the main thing that I would put for that argument is what you said in that Volk comes out that as a loser, the better than Islam, who is the winner because of the performance that he put forward. So I personally think Volk is still pound for pound number one, but obviously you disagree. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one because there's so many different ways that, again, people interpret and look at pound-for-pound pound rankings. For me, the whole point originally for pound-for-pound pound was to take weight out of it. So to say, if you fought um, Manny Pacquiao against Mike Tyson, so you could make them the same weight in some magical way and you put them together, who would win? That's like the basis of pound-for-pound pound and where it came from. So the whole point usually is you're comparing two completely different people in terms of size and what would they do at, if they fought. I get that, and I can kind of agree with you in some ways about it doesn't work the MMMF. Someone beats someone, they should be above them. However, the whole point of pound-for-pound pound is to take out those differences. If you then put two people against each other who actually fight, if one wins, they have to go above the other to me. Because if that was the normal rankings, so let's say that was a heavyweight fight, two heavyweights fought, the one who wins is going to be one ranked above the one that's lose, lost. So the same, if you take a consistency aspect, it has to apply for me. So I think even though Volk came out looking better and people thinking he was going to get run through and impressing people, he still lost and he lost that fight. Not easily to me, but he lost. Islam has to be better than him. My point, and again, we're, we're, because as we always do on this podcast, we could argue back and forth all day on um, these points, but the point that I would make in rebuttal to that is that I think Volk obviously fought him at Islam's weight. So I completely agree in lightweight, Islam should be above Volk, and that should be how that specific uh, weight class should work. But if you're talking about pound for pound and you're saying if you put them both at the same weight, that's how pound for pound should work and the winner of that would be the better fighter, surely the argument should be, well, actually, 
it should be at a catch weight then. It should be in between the two weight classes and agree it that way. And then you can see what the best is. I, I can 100% see the logic in that argument. It's a logical argument to make. Um, I just think, again, pound for pounds are slightly idealistic in things, aren't they? Because you can't ever get two people to fight at exactly the same way and all that because of all these reasons. So it's always had that bit of an air of... It's a good way to try to remove rankings and weight classes from the overall discussion, but it's not perfect and there's no perfect way to make it not incredibly subjective. Yeah, but, of course. The whole point is, if and again, straying on different subjects here, but if you look at boxing, for example, Inoue is one of the pound-for-pound pound best in the world, easily. You put him against Tyson Fury, who's also one of the best pound-for-pound pound in the world, Tyson Fury's going to absolutely spark him out, so there's yeah. no... But if you could like, put exactly Inoue's skills into AJ, AJ yeah. would fuck up Fury. So, Agreed. To me, Inoue's a better boxer when you take the weight class out of it. But the point about what I think we wanted to make anyway on the pound-for-pound, pound, so you're right, the UFC haven't updated their official rankings as yet. I tend to pay more attention, if I'm honest, to the MMA fighting um, pound-for-pound rankings because they take a wider cross-section of journalists. There's more journalists, not all associated with the UFC as well. So you get it, obviously, as well. You also takes into account other promotions, like one, like Bellator, to see people in there. Got the top five in front of me. Um, Well, did you want to tell me your five or should we discuss their five and see what we think? Going to their five, because I think they're fairly obvious apart from one of them. Um, I'd be cheating if I said I didn't know what the top five are, because obviously we've already had a, a quick chat about this. But yeah, have a quick discussion. So five it. is Usman at welterweight. Four, Ngannou, heavyweight. Three, Edwards, welterweight. Two, Volkanovski, featherweight. And Mac is now the pound for pound number one in the world at lightweight. Um, one and two don't think you can argue about three and where he comes in this is inevitable when John Jones returns so everyone else is going to fall as much as we're going to see him and he's our home country boy so we've got to give him some love you cannot have Leon Edwards as number three pound for pound best fighter in the world on the back of one head kick I have set you up here for a fall see all this foundation building in the last conversation has led on to this point because you've just told me that if pound for pound number one versus pound for pound number two have a fight and pound for pound number two beats pound for pound number one he goes above him yep and Usman is number five by that very same logic Edwards has beaten Usman he has to be above him I don't disagree with you but then what that Usman was number one before he was beaten by Edwards and to probably only drop to five is not ideal, but I, I would, I totally see the logic of what I'm saying and using that against me. Usman should be lower and Edwards should be lower. Edwards is never pound for pound three in the world, but just based on beating number five. So see what I'm saying? I, yeah, I, I agree got... with your point, but there's no way in the world Edwards is three. So taking Edwards and Usman out of the top five, if you're saying they should be lower, yeah. who are the replacements? <sighs> and Garnu probably does deserve more to be there. John Jones, he's not in it because of activity he will be back in it undoubtedly once he's had his fight and beaten Garne um, the one for me I suppose who again you could argue is a quick addition and, and I would be the first to say he hasn't been around that long is 
Pereira. He has to be one of the best five pound for pound fighters in the world. Knocking people out, as you say, only ever two weight champion at glory kickboxing comes into the UFC, starches everyone, including Izzy, who again was only not that long ago was a number one pound for pound ranking. He, he has to be up. He's 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 far more deserving of three than Edwards to me. So your top five in no particular order would be Islam Volk, John Jones when he comes back, and Garnu and Pereira. I think that would be a fair top five, yeah. Fair reflection. I disagree. I disagree. Um, I'll quickly run over Rodriguez Emmett because I think you said that you didn't actually watch too much of it. I didn't. Got back from holiday. I was hungover for being out Saturday. So I got a very only fight I did watch was Islam Volk. So I didn't see any of the rest of the UF uh, 284 card, if I'm honest Slacking. with you. Slacking. So, yeah, Slacking. back week. to tapping up and, you know, all this. Yeah. I mean, work. one thing I did, just quickly before you go on to that, and I don't know if this was uh, uh, obvious in the Rodriguez Emmett fight that you're going to talk about, but one thing I've got to say is what an outstanding commentator Dominic Cruz is. It was painfully obvious to me that he's the best commentator and the most insightful when you listen to him. He doesn't tend to make the full big broadcasts, like when you've got the full commentary team of Rogan and DC, but some of the explanations that he gives you of why someone's doing something, where they need to get their body and feet to get out of the position is so succinct and superb. I think he's a joy to listen to. He's less of a a hype man in, in comparison to the others. He's more the... Colour commentator, should we say? Just give, just, just he's often, I think, like the third. So he'll add that extra layer of right. I've been here, right. He's now got him in a crucifix. What he needs to do is get his leg over that side. He's absolutely superb in terms of the positional explanations and what people expect, like what they're trying to do. You can say, well, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get away from the cage. He'll tell you why he's trying to get away from the cage, how he's going to use the cage as a, as a, an implement to get a superb commentator. Absolutely superb. It's quite a good commentator for someone who might not have watched that many fights to listen to as well, because obviously he gives you that play-by-play on top of being able to enjoy the fight. You don't feel as though you're being lectured and you don't feel as though you're missing anything because obviously he's given you a bit more information on it. But um, I won't waste too much time with Rodriguez and Emmett. It was a good fight, but ended very, very quickly. It was a triangle choke in the second round. Um, it, it literally was very one-sided. They, they looked like there would have been only be one winner throughout and it looked like it'd be Rodriguez. Um main thing to take out of it is that that's likely going to set up uh, the undisputed title fight with Volkanovski who will give him think... much chance against Volk? No. Personally. Not you? Me. Well, I, I I didn't obviously see his last performance. I didn't know if you saw anything there that might change it, but I can't see a featherweight beating Volk for a long time. Okay, I'm going to say it, literally it's worth having a watch and see if it changes your opinion on it. I just don't think there's anyone that beats Volk at the moment. I think he could have been outstanding. He was very um, determined to get the win and he was very dominant. They only ever looked like there'd be one winner in that fight between him and Emmett. But it's like putting me up against someone who's never had a UFC fight before and then telling me to go and fight Ngannou. There's only ever going to be one winner. And he, he, he choked him out on his ground. Yeah. If Islam and some of the fucking monsters that Volk has fought can't choke him out, then I'm sorry, but Yair Rodriguez ain't choking him out. No, not for me. Um, weirdly, on the back of, and again, it's the tapping up look, I suppose, on the back of last week's podcast that I did with Mark, very specifically, there was nothing at all that had been announced about Conor McGregor. We had a bit of a conversation about um, Liam Neeson taking the piss out of him in Men's Health magazine. 
I said at that point, I'm sure we'll hear something about him in the coming year, um, but there's nothing that seems to be on the horizon. Boom. Uh, Ultimate Fighter, 31, announced. Chandler, McGregor. You think McGregor's going to get sparked? I love McGregor. Everyone knows I love McGregor, but I think this is a terrible matchup for him. The two things that McGregor have always found as kryptonite and that he can't deal with is a solid wrestling base, which Chandler certainly has, and a deep gas tank because Connor fights at such a pace and effort with his, his striking. You can't keep that for five rounds. Chandler can and is an absolute cardio monster. So I, we talked, I think, whether it was on one of the previous podcasts or where it was off air, sometimes it all becomes a bit of a blur to me. We were both talking about this and I was like, there is no chance the UFC put this together because it's such a bad matchup for Connor. I thought they would put him against maybe a slightly fading fighter, a, a Tony Ferguson, or someone who was going to come in, maybe stand and bang with him and make him, give him the chance to show off and look good like he did against Cowboy Cerrone. But so uh, I was shocked when I was on holiday and you sent me this through because um, I think it's a terrible matchup for Connor. Um, but you've got to take your hat off to him. He, 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 he might be many things. He's not stupid. He knows this guy's a fucking bad matchup for him and he'll still take that fight. So you've got to take your hat off to Connor for, for taking it. But it's a tough, tough road for victory against Chandler. It's McGregor's first fight since he snapped his leg uh, against Poirier in July 2021. Chandler is 2-3 and three, uh, since coming over from Bellator. Um, all of his fights seem to be quite exciting. The interesting thing from this is obviously the fact that it's um, going to be on the ultimate fighter. Now, for people who aren't necessarily akin to how this works, can you give us a bit more information on how the ultimate fighter would work as a series and, and how it eventually ends. So basically, Connor and Chandler will be coaches of teams. They often have two weight classes, if not just one weight class, and they basically coach these teams for a period of six weeks. The guys, in a slightly Big Brother manner-esque, all stay in one house, and that can get a bit fucking juicy sometimes. You can imagine fucking ten guys all wanting to beat the fuck out of each other, suddenly having a few beers one night. That can be a bit of dramatic. Who's, who's that video TV. that we've watched? Tom, I forget his name. This is going. This is like that's like fifteen years old. But we'll, we'll we'll post it on our socials of a guy basically saying, "Punch me in the face, God! I've never been knocked out." And the other guy goes, "Are you sure?" And like he's really reluctant to. So he goes, "Okay, sparks him straight out." <laughs> Literally, he's like one of the coldest knockouts you ever see. And he sort of gently drops him down. And you're like, "You're talking to a professional fighter saying, hit me, just hit me, gone. I, I can take it. It's ridiculous, but yeah, we'll put the post of the video up because it's hilarious. But that was." Many, many years ago, um, that one. But So, yeah, sorry, they, they, they will coach these two teams. The two teams basically then fight off in a kind of eliminator weekly event. The two eventual guys left will then fight on the UFC card, potentially the one that Connor and Chandler will then fight as the coaches. And on the, on the undercard will potentially be these two, um, you know, the, the winners from uh, respective teams. Has McGregor ever been on the Ultimate Fight before? He has. Like. He was on it before against Uriah Faber. And then the fight fell through for some reason. This was back in right, his okay. featherweight days. I think this was maybe the fight before he sparked out Aldo. So but before he was, his sort of big 
before the he, 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 he was in that period of where his his star was in the making he was relatively well known he was getting bigger but that was where a lot of people what they often do with the ultimate fighter is use that as a way to show people fighters personalities so someone like connor who has got a bit of star power for them to show that off i'm sure they will do that with chandler because chandler often makes out how he's this kind of loving adoring husband and wife and partner where makes me feel a bit sick because him and his bird have got an adopted kid so they he seems to play up this i'm really wholesome family died down down the gym then i always look after my kid and my wife and it makes me a bit sick so i think they'll kind of play on that dynamic of he's a wholesome family man connor's a so and you know this is our valentine's day themed podcast you should be into love and uh, he's, he's a bit sickling with it Chandler like there's, you know in that part just shut the fuck up mate if you love your bird good I love my bird but I don't fucking tell everyone all the time and start posting all these fucking pictures but Chandler makes me a little bit sick that's one of the reasons I'm not his biggest fan is it normally a showcase for lesser fighters the ultimate fighter and sort of up and coming fighters because it feels like this is quite a big thing and two quite big fighters to be on this. It very much used to be, and it was very much in the original days. So when we first started the Bonner segment, we did Forrest Griffin versus uh, Bonner. That was the first final of the Ultimate Fighter. So that, that shows you how long ago. It was 2005. And what it was then is they were had to be non-professional fighters. So these are guys working security jobs or train, you know, policemen that are training jiu-jitsu in the day and then beating the fuck out of people at night. This was their chance to get a big contract and go pro. The impact of the of Tough has been reduced considerably, given there's so many other routes to the UFC now, like Dana White's Contender Series. That now is a way for guys who are on the regional circuit, if you want to call it that, getting their big push. So it's far less important than it used to be because there's more avenues to the UFC. And these guys will all be pro fighters. They just won't be at the UFC level they'll probably be fighting for some of the smaller promotions like in america you've got one called lf lfa legacy fighting alliance you've got the type of places that the one we're going to still cage steel cage steel that is exactly the type of place that they would be picking up you know someone goes in there they're young they spark out five people in a row within less than a minute they might get the call to be in the ultimate fighter Interesting. One to look forward to them. You mentioned it there about the Bonner segment. We don't actually have a Bonner segment this week because, as I say, you've been slacking. Um, You have decided to go on hold in and leave us to it, and normally you're the the go-to man for it. Do you have a fight for next week? I do. I mean, I obviously have been deprived the chance to talk through um, both your horrendous efforts at pronunciation (laughs) with Whaley Zhang and Joanna... JJ, uh, what do they call her? Uh, when Because so many people struggled with her very difficult name, she's either called JJ or Joanna Champ, which I, I feel like is as on. lazy as they could possibly get. At, like It used to be the same with Khabib, just like they just want to be lazy. Is it not Jan Jacek? I think you did quite well, Khabib. It sounded to me like you'd been listening to that. When you, Mark didn't have a fucking clue, did he? No, um, which is why we're funny. Uh, but you some. both were getting... Whaley's name horrendously wrong, I believe. And it definitely sounded like the booze kicked in but more to what by the end. Samuel Jaws, that's why. But yeah, um, the fight. So I am thinking um for the next segment we should have a look at 
It's an awkward pause now. Just while you. Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit. 2016, it was the fight of the year that year. Okay, so we'll get that posted on uh, as Twitter and then back to it next week as per usual. Yep, uh, I think, I can't remember, I've definitely seen this one. It might be a three-rounder, I think, so I don't think it's a full five-rounder. Don't. It's 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 a, a bit of much of a, a Henderson-Shogun-esque war. Both just being Is there a the knockout shit, in this? Goes to the decision. Oh, I believe so. Is, uh, what we need to try and do is mix in decisions with maybe some shorter fights. It's all decisions at the moment. Literally, I'd have to spend most of my nights doing homework for this now. Just watching people beat the fuck out of each other. <laughs> you should be pleased about that. But um, yeah, so we'll put the we'll put the link up for that along with a video of the other guy getting sparked out in the tough house, which is going to be far more entertaining. Um, a bit of both in terms of two of the subjects that we go through here, and it's a good way to go into the next subject. But have you seen about Deontay Wilder coming out? Um, saying that he wants a piece of France Naganu wants a two fight deal. He wants to fight him in boxing, which would be interesting. Then <laughs> wants to fight him in the cage in Africa, he said very specifically. Crazy talk. I mean one, you're gonna get killed, but two, this boxers we know in the promotion game sadly will say whatever they need to get to do. The thing that I feel sorry for there is Francis Ngannou would probably get lulled into agreeing to that. And let me take a wild stab in the dark. The boxing match will be first. And then they have the boxing match in which Wilder would probably win. And then, oh, lo and behold, the MMA fight falls through or he doesn't sign up to the contract or whatever it is. So there is no way in the world Wilder is getting in the cage of Ngarni. Controversial opinion. I, and regardless of the, the MMA side of things, I would be very <laughs> much inclined to be wanting to see Nganu Wilder than I would want to see Nganu Fury because Fury obviously is more of a boxer. He's still got punching power, but he's more of a boxer than Wilder. Whereas Wilder and Nganu is just going to be two big men trying to knock Slug each Slugfest, exactly. Yeah. And Wilder hasn't exactly got the best movement. We know he can get he gets put down multiple times in a fight by someone like Fury. I, I agree. I, that, that That's a very entertaining boxing fight. And that would be one that you would say, looking at the upper echelon of fighters that's potentially winnable for Ngarni. Him or Dillian White, I'd like to see. I don't want to see Joshua fight him. I don't want to see Usyk fight him because that would be an embarrassment. Chisora would be the one that if you were Ngarni's <laughs> manager, you would try to get enough that he's a big enough name, he can just stand there, he can take a beating and just let Ngarni tee off on him. That would be the one for me. If I was Ngarni's Who manager... Win? You think Chisora would win or do you think... No, <laughs> he'd lose. But I'll be honest, men, better boxers than Ngarni haven't put... Chisora away, so you could argue Chisora might it take a beating on the on his feet, but that would be a real you know if, if an eye opener for the power that Ngannou has if he put Chisora away. If Wilder doesn't get a piece of Ngannou as he's he's trying to get, would you like to see him fight Tyson Fury for a fourth time? No, I'm surprised you actually. I thought that would be a definitive. No, no obviously why, not. why is it even? Why is it even being talked about? It's three nil. Well, World Boxing News has come out and exclusively revealed that because there is potential issues with the Usyk Fury fight, in that I think Fury is asking for a number of new things very last minute, allegedly, they have a fallback of Deontay Wilder um, to fight at Wembley. By the sounds of it, I mean Fury is a 
sorry, Wilder is a stupid man. If he wants to take that fight and he thinks he, on the fourth time he's going to change anything different from the previous three. I mean, it's pretty much ended his boxing career anyway from this fearsome knockout artist that oh, someone who can actually get humbled if you know how to box. I, it makes no sense to me why he wants it, why Fury wants I don't. I don't want to see it. So it's three, I know it's not 3-0, it's 2-0. Two, two. And a draw. Zero one. Yeah. So it's not officially 3 0, but we all know that anyone who watched boxing knows that Tyson Fury won that first draw anyway. So it's 3 0. It's un. And the, even the, even if you took the draw out of it, the two other victories were super conclusive. So no, I don't want to see it. The business argument, I don't want to see it, don't get me wrong, but the business argument is that Americans are more interested in seeing Deontay Wilder than anything else because obviously he is American. Um, Apparently, the interest of seeing Fury and Usyk from the American side is quite low because they've got no interest in anything outside their own country by the sounds of it. So that would obviously allow you for a large portion of the world to get involved in it. If you then put it in England, so you put it in Wembley, you get people, don't get me wrong, I won't pay for it, but let's say me and you, who are like, well, actually, 90,000 seat a stadium, I might go and watch that. So you get the revenue for the, the home country and you get the interest from the home country. Don't you think that in some ways we're, we're spoiling things with this yeah. nonsense of cross-promote? Here's an idea. Dana, you put your fucking hand in your pocket, give the people what they want to see, getting Garnu back, having Garnu Jones and watch the two people that we actually want to fight, fight and get the American crowd and the rest of the world interested. It feels so much now that we're trying to paper over something and put this together because that won't work let's just do what people want that's the best thing about the ufc is usually that like fuck this there is no way in the world that if you let if if jones runs through garnet like i think he will and he becomes a champ and dana chucks 10 million down says right there's 10 mil and you get a pay-per-view percentage fight in garnet come back to take on jones a hundred million percent in garnet will take that fight i mean we went wildly off topic there in terms of the sporting side of things but American side yes agreed I think if you have the top fighters fighting yeah but in this instance I mean more is sort of Wilder Fury if they're gonna go ahead and have that fourth fight there are business implications as to why they would have it but as an overall opinion of the sport of boxing I agree I think UFC is far more inclined to put the bigger fights on whereas boxing seems to be well, it's all about the money. It's not necessarily about watching the best fight the best anymore. So, Out of curiosity, do you know what uh, these um, requests, if that's the right word, from Fury are? What feels, again, like not we're not bullshitting around now, are we, Tyson? That You're not playing Tommy Fury's game here and fucking around close to the fight and asking for nonsense, are you? Cause that... Nothing has come out. It's all these allegedly there's right, been disagreements okay. and allegedly there's been that and that's why they've got other fighters which I don't necessarily disagree with having backup fighters because of course you've got to do that and I'm sure Usyk has got a backup fighter in his mind which is probably going to be Ruiz Jr or someone like that but on that same level I don't want to see a backup fight I just want to see the best fight the best So, but these kind of changing demands if it's that so oh we signed up and it was a 12 ounce gloves but now he wants 10 ounce that's just being a twat and you could have again the, 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 the Fury's a seasoned pro so what I'm saying is if it's a bit of gamesmanship and a bit of fucking around those days are gone you don't need to do that anymore you've made your money give the people what they want to see and turn up and fight him and beat him stop fucking calling people sausages and fucking trying to get out you know you're giving your family a bad name like your wheezy little brother 
which is only a, what a week and a bit away from being sparked out by a YouTuber, which will be quite funny. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? On that yeah, one. I, I definitely good. want so, him to win. It's on a Sunday that you know. Is Saudi that though Arabia because of time difference? No, it's a, it's like ten p.m. Sunday night for England. That's ridiculous. I, that's what I mean. If it were early morning, I won't mind it. But it is genuinely just really? a ridiculous. A Nui fighting the other day, like at lunchtime on a, a Wednesday. Wednesday, or Wednesday I say, yeah. Fucking ridiculous. But just yeah, I don't know who's who's planned that one. Um, last little bits for boxing then. AJ and Jermaine Franklin. I know you're not impressed by this. It's just a gimme for AJ, it's or a should be fight. a gimme in it. But yeah. one that, as you say, a bit like Wilder had when he fought uh, Hellenius, just to run through him. No interest in seeing it whatsoever. Well, it's not pay per view. So that's a, a slight positive about it. Um, I hope that this is obviously the start of AJ coming back on the trail. Let's hope for a quick knockout on that and then a better fight down the line. I think from the sounds of it, it's probably going to be white in the summer, which I don't think anyone wants to see. But either way, um, Eubank Jr. has just invoked his rematch clause against Liam Smith. Um, again, I think there's a bit of controversy in this first fight with that alleged elbow, which I still think is there. A lot of people disagree with me, including yourself. Um how do you see this one going? You think Smith... I mean, it's taken him a little up. while, isn't it? Interesting whether... Or maybe he triggered the rematch. Uh, I mean, it seems a news break today that he, he, he'd done it. So it's pretty recent news. But um, obviously the fight was, what, two, three weeks ago now? So it's taken him a little while to sit down and think about it rather than right next Monday morning, bang, I want my rematch. Um, personally, I don't see it getting very different than the first round. I, I know the first fight, I know that there was, you say, there was a bit of controversy and I can certainly see some arguments, but Smith's by far the better boxer. Um, Eubank might be slightly more motivated now than he was in the first fight. You think fight. he's the better boxer? Yeah. I think Eubank is just showy and flashy in terms of fundamental boxing skills. I'd say Smith beats him all day. I think Smith's not more a knockout. of a fighter. Yeah, I think he's, Smith he's, not, definitely... he's probably not got as much of a, a knockout punch, or but his fundamentals in terms of his guard, his jab, you know, what you need to be his boxer and his movement, I think he's the better boxer by a long way. I think Eubank, for me, anyway, it's a personal opinion, but I think Eubank's a better boxer. I think Smith is definitely the better fighter. And that's one of the biggest issues that I had with the first fight. I think, and again, another thing that we've disagreed about, but I thought Eubank had won the first few rounds comfortably. I know you thought Smith had taken a few of them. And then just all of a sudden he let himself get back in the corner. And as soon as you let yourself get back in the corner against Liam Smith, he's just going to punch your head in. So I don't know what he expected from that. But um, instead of the, the Bonner segment this week, and obviously, in honour of what I'm, I'm sure you're going to be enjoying today, and the, you know the best day of the the year, and all these romantic ideas you've got in your head for tonight, um, I thought I'd put a, a Valentine's Day segment in instead. And I can see by your face you're already very excited to hear what this is going. Um, I'm sure our listeners will love this. <laughs> love, I see what you did there. It's, it's clever, uh, good little pun there. But no, it's, it's just one question for you: um, What footballers? plural or singular, made you fall in love with the footballing world for the first time? I'm trying to think. So, so for the first time, so like my, the earliest memories I have of... Yes, so uh, the one, if not the earliest members memories, the footballer that always springs to mind when someone asks you who, who have you always adored in football or who... Luis Suarez. Yeah. You knew the answer. That's what you were trying to fish every time. No, no one's ever made me as happy watching my team and do what he did. Make me feel a sense of belonging and love, 
like watching Suarez for 18 months at Liverpool. He was just sensational. When I was a kid, we oh, I say a kid, more, more of a teenager by this point, um, that was the era for Liverpool of the Spice Boys. I always say we had Michael Owen coming through. I was a monster Liverpool fan. I used to get the monthly magazine. I can't remember what it's called now, every month. And everyone had been banging on about Owen since he was about 13. He made his debut at 15. Um, and he'd been, he'd been in all the, you know, the, the youth records. He'd smashed all these records. So everyone knew about him. So watching him come through and only be three or four years older than me was always quite impressive. The only other one, I know you hate him as a commentator, and I've mentioned I've always oh, had a soft no. spot for him when I was a kid, was Stevie Mac. Jesus Christ. To love watching that gangly, lanky, like a mop, didn't he? But his dribbling skills were fantastic. So he was another one. When I was a young lad watching Liverpool, um, he made me very, very happy. Genuinely ruins Champions League football for me. He is the most biased commentator they have on BT Sport. It makes Carragher look like he is neutral and he's just boring. He's got no footballing insight. Hey, hey, he's a good pass that. Well done, Liverpool. Hey. He's definitely, he's a far better winger than he was commentator. I'll say that for you. Yeah, I'll I'll take that. Um, Champions League squad for me, 2001. I'm a 90s baby. So growing up with that young, youthful O'Leary squad. It's what we're talking like, Boya, yeah. uh, that kind of, you know, Kewl, Vadunka. Well, not Kewl, never Kewl for a Leeds fan. Batty, Hart, Decor, Smith, Smith Robinson in goal, or someone else in it goal It was then? Nigel Martin Nigel, I do remember yeah. Nigel Martin. Uh, Paul Robinson came shortly after that and was outstanding, but it were uh, Nigel Martin at that point. The one person that I always say, though, and controversial, I don't think you'll get a lot of Leeds fans saying the same, Eric Backer. I knew you were going to say it. Because I absolutely love him. Literally, the unsung hero of that team. No one ever speaks about him. Because he was just an average Joe in the middle of the park he compared wasn't. to all these flair and good players. He, he wasn't even like the batty. Batty like, did the dirty work. Did the, He was a Dennis Wise. He, he got in there. He did everything for everybody else. Bakker was just a nobody for me. Disagree. Disagree. He... He's a weird footballer because you look at his footballing career and I think he had a short stint at Villa on loan after basically saying, well, I don't want to leave Leeds and then sent him out on loan anyway. But he's not really done anything outside of, of Norway. I think he's is he managing someone at the moment. Is, he, is it like Sogndal? Get him back. Yeah. Need, need a manager, get him back. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, there's, there's loads of stories about Backer where he talks about like before the AC Milan um, Champions League game, they all went out and got pissed just before it, and then they got an absolute telling off, to put it uh, politely, about um, going out and getting pissed and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the West Brom game, where West Brom lost 2-1 to Huddersfield, I think it was, that saw Leeds promoted. Uh, he went into a pub in Norway, where there's like a small contingent of Leeds fans, and went and celebrated it with them, because he's still got Leeds at his heart. So, he's still in my heart. But. It's no, it's nice when you hear stories like that where someone's got so attached to a team that they, you know, take that home with them or, or whatnot. But he's not managing Sognal anymore. He got fired in 2021. Oh, has he managed anyone? No. Oh. But his son does play for Molde, in case you're interested. So there's a link to Leeds recently. Johan Backer, yeah. apparently. So you never know. Maybe if in. he takes after his dad, he'll come into your team and do jack shit for you. <laughs> 
Um, you've also missed, while being off, speaking of Leeds and speaking of other teams near the bottom of the table, two very big sackings. One we definitely expected, one I think was definitely coming. Um, they're both going hand-in-hand hand at the moment, though, don't they? So Leeds sacked Jesse Marsh um, it was, what, early last week, just before the first Man U game. Um, so many people have been rumoured to be replacing him. We still haven't got anything definitive. I'm very worried that they're going to give it to the caretaker manager, who is Michael Scabala at the moment, whose only experience is England futsal, which is very, very, very worrying. How uh, does he get the job at Leeds in the first place if that's his experience? He's under 21s. So basically, I think he knows Gareth Southgate for however reason, but um, rumours to getting Nuno in, but once I told you that his release clause is rumoured to be about €8 million, Euros, don't think you think that's the best of ideas. Who do you get in then? Who who do you honestly think comes to Leeds at this point in time that saves them? Don't say Steve I Gerrard. think you've missed the boat with Dyche. Dyche was the one that you could have got on a short-term contract to do you a come-in, steady the ship, here's a six-month contract, keep us up and we can talk. That would have been the one, which is easy with hindsight, but I think that's a very shrewd appointment from Everton. It felt like it was quite refreshing, I think, for Leeds doing this in a way that shows they made the decision without having someone else lined up, like you see with a lot of people these days. It felt quite an authentic and truthful decision rather than this, oh, yeah, he's not doing very well. Here's our new manager. So no one can ever accuse Leeds of not being authentic in in that respect. For me, Nuno was a perfect candidate for, for six months, potentially. See how he gets on, maybe keep you up. Not at eight million pounds, which you told me earlier before FA, which makes me sick. Particularly if you're saying that they won't pay ten million for the Real Vallecano boss, who's supposed to be incredibly highly rated and would be a risk about keeping you up. But for the longer term, he makes a sense. I'm not probably going to be popular with Leeds fans for saying this. If you need a six-month job now that Dyche is gone, Rafa. I don't think Leeds fans would mind that. I think it's boring. But weirdly, breaking news here, obviously. The, uh, the place to come for breaking news, tapping up. Um, Leeds United have just confirmed that Michael Scabala, Paco Gallardo and Chris Armas are to remain in charge of the first team, starting with Everton away. Not announced to the end of the season, but it does say in brackets, or in quotations, forthcoming fixtures. Which just means they need longer to get a manager. That's not, a, that's not terrible, but you can see it eking out. And I wouldn't fancy them to keep me up. But no. Rafa, I, I think Rafa is a re- not an obvious choice, but he's the type of person, he loves a kind of a fixed job. Just come in, just keep us up. I think at the stage of his career now, he's not so bothered about the longevity, buying into the project, things like that. You could dish him out a six-month contract, keep us in the Premier League, Rafa. There's a fat bonus, now fuck off. And then you get one of these maybe younger, more progressive managers that they're looking at, like Gallardo or the, the Rare Valicano boss. Give them a full window back in and some money if the if the the uh, sale goes through to the 49ers um, and, and see what they can do. But it's a bit worrying for me, Leeds, because yeah. I think mainly, I, I've said it for ages, I still think Leeds man for man, particularly after what they did in January, they had probably if not the best transfer window of the Premier League, certainly one of them with the people that they brought in, in, in Ruta, in McKenney, in Woba. But the other teams are strengthening. So Everton getting Dyche is a worry for me because I think he is a man that will keep you up. Southampton, you know, 
there's that the story writes itself, doesn't it? That then Marsh keeps them up in exchange of you. Does so on that? That was one of the things that we're going to come to. Nathan Jones being sacked is probably the least unexpected. About as predictable as the sun coming up in the morning. We've both slammed this guy before, and it's never nice to see someone lose their job. Don't want that, but. It was one of the strangest and most desperate appointments I can ever remember and was destined to fail because he is n- couldn't fucking manage Stoke. How the fuck are you going to manage a team at the bottom of the Premier League? So it doesn't surprise me. It was a terrible knee-jerk reaction. Whoever's in charge of Southampton in terms of the football director or the owner who's, who's agreed that, it's completely their fault. And I don't even blame Nathan Jones. It's just out of his depth. It seems to be that this sacking, whereas it's definitely been coming, has been triggered by Leeds sacking Marsh. Because if you believe that the stories in The Athletic and in The Times, etc., etc., Southampton have been tracking Jesse Marsh for a long time, which is a really strange thing. And obviously it looks like they're going to appoint him now. Does he keep him up? Uh, I said to you, I, I thought Marsh got quite a harsh ride at Leeds because I thought his record wasn't too bad. The real game-changing moment for me, and you'd said about this to me too, was when I went to the Leeds-Cardiff game with you and I got to see him first-hand on the touchline. The man didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. He had terrible communication skills with his players. He seemed to be talking to them and they're just ignoring him or not listening to what he was saying. And I thought, this is not a relationship with your players that someone who commands or demands respect. So... My view of Marsh and his abilities were were, were were changed significantly when I went to the match with you. Um, now, what you could argue for Southampton, they seem to like this Red Bull-esque approach, don't they? In that they've had Hassan Hootler before, who was was a previous Red Bull manager. They've got Marsh. They've got a relatively good scouting network. Uh, not maybe as good as, as, as Brighton's uh, these days, but pretty good. And they get the younger players through that they can then flourish and sell on mainly to Liverpool, but for a ridiculously big increase. I could see it maybe being a better fit for his kind of style than Leeds. And you would never want him to keep... If he keeps Southampton up, given how dog shit they are, fair play, there's no way in the world I want to see that at expense of Leeds. Um, I also agree with that. I would like to see that at the expense of Leeds, but... I, it's a weird sort of outlook and way to go for Southampton. I agree, whoever appointed Nathan Jones is completely out of the depth. Um, it's a very weird appointment in the first place. But how would you go from Nathan Jones, who's probably one of the most cynical managers out there and he's obviously very full of himself, to then go to Jesse Marsh, who is all about the vibes, is all about positivity, is all about spreading that. And one of the things that, again, there's nothing to confirm this, one of the things that you read on, uh, there's a Leeds United forum called WACO, the We Are the Champions of Europe, and there's a lot of you know, ITK, so in the knowers. And the rumours are that actually all was not well behind the scenes at Leeds United, and Jesse Marsh wasn't very liked by the squad. And if you notice, a number of his backroom staff, A, his main assistant, is going to remain at Leeds by the sounds of it for the foreseeable, but also a number of different assistants have thrown him under the bus someone tweeted saying I have no doubt that and this is one of the assistants I've no doubt that Leeds United will do very well under different direction or something along those lines now that doesn't suggest harmony and and positivity like Jesse Marsh has said it actually suggests something completely opposite and a little bit sinister so I don't know I, I hope Southampton go down if it's between us and them but brings me to the question then who goes down so we've got the chance to change it 
I obviously said uh, Forest at the start of the season, and you said that they would finish above us, and we've got a tenner on that. And I'm Still looking good at that, yeah. aren't I? Don't want to cash out. I'll give no. you seven fifty out of tenner <laughs> for a cash out. Um, if you fifty p. Um, no, I, I burst. I, th- I, I mean, no team can say they're safe, and I think any team is susceptible to a bad one. But Forest seem to have pulled it out. Um, Bournemouth, I think, unfortunately, are looking in trouble. I wish they weren't, but I think they look in trouble. Southampton, I don't think anyone can really keep them up from what I've seen. I think, think? they look in real trouble. Yeah, I mean, they've got a few good players and good sort of nuggets that they can shine and polish up and, and get a bit of money for in amongst that team. But it's not what I would call it. It hasn't got the spine of a team to keep you in the Premier League, if you ask me. Um, I would have said before yesterday, probably Everton. And although they lost and remain in the bottom three, I do think Dyche is the right appointment for any team in that situation. I mean, he is a more modern-day Sam Allardyce. Um, and I think he obviously, instant improvement. How much of that's the new manager bounce? How much is actually what he's done when they beat Arsenal? They Liverpool were by far the better team last night, which was the best we've played for probably since the start of, last, uh, since the start of the 2023, to be honest with you. Um, but once it went 1-0, I wasn't super concerned. Uh, and as soon as it went to 2-0 it was done it was just a case of would they could they put, probably to put the foot on the accelerator and go and get a few more but Southampton and Bournemouth I think for me third one I'll, I'll be honest I'm, I, I don't think there's a very clear clear and obvious choice yet you've got Everton you guys are in in that mix I think Forest would be the other team I would probably say I think Leicester have now started to show a bit of quality and pulled themselves out and look pretty safe don't they Fulham are flying uh, a lot of people would have expected them to be struggling and even if they drop off, they've probably got more than enough points that won't get sucked into it. So it, it could come down to you or Everton. No one mentions West Ham and I feel like that's a little bit unusual because West Ham are literally right down there as well. You, you never like to say it and it's happened before but they are for me, that's a team, they're too good to go down. I mean, Moyes, obviously got affinity with West Ham, the old man sports West Ham, one of my best mates will sports West Ham. Um, I like West Ham, I'd like them to stay up and I still think they've got enough quality in the locker that when you get people like Paqueta who should be one of the best midfielders in the league, you know, he's not surrounded by that much quality at the moment in some ways, but if you can get him and Rice working in tandem a little bit and some of the other players they've got, I, I think West Ham will get a few results and will pull, pull himself away from trouble. I will go Southampton, Bournemouth and Forest because I don't think Forest are out of it. I think things can change very, very quickly. Um, on a little bit of a separate note, did you see the Paul Inns press conference? No. It's got a lot of... Um, publicity this week. I'll just play this clip and you tell me what you think of it. Well, I accept that you, the job is to come here and, and as you say, really quite required and, and get the points, but it was a pretty grim game to watch. Well, that, we shouldn't be here then, should you, if it's that grim? What are you, do- <laughs> what are you, what are you doing here, <laughs> if it's that grim? Well, it's because the job to come, to come and watch it. Yeah, so what, what part was... Anyone, anyone watching it, except for BBC, sorry. OK. Any, any neutral watching it, we thought... Yeah, I, I guess you don't play that way every week, do you? It's just because some of these lot of technicians have to try and look fine. Um, no, I, just, I, I don't think... Um... I think you could, if you actually done your research, you'd probably see a lot of games that are like this in the Championship. That's the way it is. Okay, that's the bottom line. Not so many. 
So what do you want to answer that then? Well, no, I'm saying like... What? What, you, what are you saying? I'm saying is that because some of them got lots of good players, you want to try and get try, kill a game. Try and what? What do you mean kill a game? How can we kill a game if we're not winning? Well, time wasting. Well, when was we time wasting? Well, you're missing, and someone takes so long to take throw-ins. So, so, so does that make it grim then? Because we're time wasting? Well, pretty grim for anyone watching, isn't it? <laughs> so why would it be time wasting if we're getting beat? Well, you weren't. You speed it up after that. <laughs> I'm just saying, from neutral's point of view. No, you're saying. You're saying. Just, no, no, no. What you're doing? You're saying it from your point of view, not neutral. Your point of view. Got a little bit edgy, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, what a sh- <laughs> uh, journalists? I've I, I become more and more frustrated with journalists and the nonsense and the bullshit that it's about. So, one, that's a fucking stupid question from her. Wouldn't it be agreed? When I was, I'm away on uh, holiday night, no TV in Spain, only channel that had English TV on was Sky International. So one night, missus is getting ready, before we go out, bored of listening to some music on Spotify, right, I stick the news on. It's the day that they had the cabinet reshuffle. So they announced the guy, that I can't remember his name, who takes over the chairman position from Zadawi. As he's walking up, first moment, bit of glory that he's walking in, they go... Are your taxes in order? It's just like, <laughs> you stupid... And he's just like, yes, they are. I was like, what a ridiculous question for a professional to say. Like, what... And, and that... that equi- It's a bit fucking grim. That's ju- just... What are you talking about? Like, it's, be better. These people are supposed to be journalists covering these aspects for us normal people to make us more enlightened about it. And they say shit like that. Well, that's Ironic. actually, it's a shortened version of the full clip is that, but it goes on for like two minutes, just basically constantly prying at him, just constantly asking, well, I watch loads of these games and yeah, it's a bit grim, isn't it? And he's like, well, what are you here for? What, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to answer it? Honestly, the amount of stupid questions you hear from journalists is like, are your taxes in order? Did you do that? Oh, fuck off. Ask me a proper question. I've just been promoted to the... Head of the Tory party or whatever he is. Why don't you ask me about Tory policy? Why don't you... Are my taxes in order? And as even if they weren't in order, do you not think I've sorted that shit out immediately because I've just seen what's gone on? Nonsense. How do we get onto politics from Paul Instagram? Just just the nonsense of journalists and their stupid fucking questions. If they were only better at their jobs, we wouldn't have moved on to it. By all accounts, apparently it was quite a grim football match. Though <laughs> you look at the comments, a bit like he's oh, got to be fair though. In that, I've never been Paul Winks's biggest fan, given that he played for Paul and Scum. But that has got to be right. In that, a lot of Championship games are not going to be of the highest quality. They're going to probably be a lot of kick and chase. You know, a lot of lower leagues will be. That's football. I've seen plenty of games. I've seen plenty of games in the Premier League that aren't that great to watch. That sometimes happens in football, doesn't it? The matter of the quality of players. So it feels like a ridiculous point to make and just keep... Well, I've watched loads of championship games. I agree with him. I'm sure there's a high proportion of championship and certainly the leagues below that are dog shit for 90 minutes. Funny, though. It's always funny to see Paul to get agitated and... I thought he kept a lid on it relatively well in some competitive settings. This guy, hey, taxis in order. Yes. I'd have been like, ask me a proper fucking question, bitch. Um, But... 
I've got a little thing for you. Go on. So the FIF Pro Awards, and this is, you know, they give out the, the awards for best men player, best female player, best goalie, which I think is the, called the Pushkas Award. Is that right? Pushkas is... The goal. Yeah, the goal. goal is it. Golden gloves. Yeah. I think it's best keeper, those type of things. That is at the end of February. And I think to be the best male player, I believe they have a short list now. I could be wrong and people will pillage me if I get it wrong, but it's either... It used to be 50, and then I think they combined these two awards together, didn't they, That with the two? And now I think it's down to 30. So I could be wrong. It's 30 or 50, basically. And if you obviously, you've got to be on that. But most people would usually say that's the top 30 or 50 players in the world to be on that list, to at least get the nomination, or at least the most in form. So I managed to find here a team of people that don't even make that shortlist. So, Have you made the team yourself? No, no, this I read it somewhere. To be oh. fair, so it, I can't less impressive, it. less impressive. But um, goalkeeper Yasin, is it Banu? Banu, the strong start. Um, Moroccan goalie from the World Cup. Who's he Seville, play for? Seville, Seville's keeper Seville. played well for Seville. Wasn't didn't he win the award for? No, that was a Martinez, wasn't it? He won the best goalie, but he was basically second best goalie in the World Cup. So he's in there. Doesn't even get a shout. Centre back. Militao of, and ironically, their other centre-back, Alaba. Both for Real Madrid, won the title last year, did well, don't even get a mention. Third centre-back, Lissandro Martinez. Taken the Premier, I wouldn't say by storm, Ooh. but everyone it's was giving good. him a bit of stick. Yeah. First bit, first couple of games, everyone was a bit like, he's too small to play, he was getting a lot of grief. Very, very consistent. And for the second half of the season... Got to be one of the top centre backs in the league. The butcher of Amsterdam, with the Colin. I believe the, good, it's a good name. So it doesn't even make the, the short list. Uh, two centre mids: Kimmich and Rodri. Rodri, Rodri? Is the best fucking centre mid, defensive mid in the world, and doesn't even make it into the short list. How? So what, how, how long is the short list? Sorry. So I think it's 30 now, not 50. How does Rodri not make it into the top 30 players in the world? Exactly. You, this, is what, this is what I'm saying. To you. The left midfield: Vinicius Junior. Not even on the list. Starring for Real. I think he got 18 goals and 10 assists or something like that last year. Not even on the list. Um, right side of midfield. In Christopher Nkuku. Top scorer in Bundesliga last year for a shit team. I think no one's ever had, bar Lewandowski, more goals and assists in terms of goal contributions in a single season. Doesn't even make the list. You like this one? Two up top. Harry Kane. Just become the top goal scorer for England and Spurs. Well, doesn't even make the list. And partnering him up front is Raphael Lau of AC Milan. Yeah. Are you quite young? 23 he is. Got time, but had a fantastic season. Propelled Milan to uh, where they were doing last year. Sure, he had at least seven, like 12 goals, 12 assists in terms of contributions as well. You, I haven't got the list of the nominees in front of me, but... We could pull that apart and I'm sure get most of those players in that list. Let me guess, Cristiano Ronaldo probably made the top 30, despite doing nothing. And now scored, playing in fucking Saudi Arabia. Scoring penalties. Pro- pro- probably did. Uh, I mean, to be fair, everyone thinks the very clear winner will sh- could and should be Messi, shouldn't it? It will be Messi. Because, because of the World Cup and everything else. So well. um, he is pretty much a shoe in for that. But I just thought some of that lit... like. Rodri, in particular. Kane, not to be on the... I wonder if Bellingham's on it. 
I assume he would be. So I missed one name out, one name which only because of injury this is the case. Sadio Mane, not on the list either. Tearing it up at Bayern Munich in the first half of the season. Not, don't even make the list. He's literally the missing PCR team at the moment. It's where it all pieces. went wrong. Yeah. I'm telling you, a lot of people sleep on that, but he, he had a massive impact. And I was talking to a guy on holiday in the, the Irish pub, as you always do on your holiday, watching us get done by Wolves, which was frankly embarrassing. And the guy said to me, when do you think all this started? I was like, Selimane. And he was like, spot on. A Liverpool all, fan? He was a Liverpool fan, yeah. Um, get everywhere. Mane like is so underestimated what he did for that team. The work rate and his output goals and assist-wise... That was the start of the decline, but we digress. I'm going to say, just looking, flowers are starting to wilt. Flowers that you've uh, got a few misses. Your bag's leaking, look. It's going everywhere. Ruined. She might listen to this before she gets home, so you're ruining the surprise. I'll be honest, I can't imagine it, because... Well, see, what I actually did was, is when you went to the toilet, I switched the bags over. <laughs> see, you've got the exact same flowers. I wondered why this one's full over. of piss. Um, but, yeah, anyway, um, welcome back, Ian. Don't ever leave again, otherwise obviously there'll be issues. Um, Thanks very much to everyone listening again, and we'll speak to you next week. Oh, and happy Valentine's Day, of course. (laughs) 